Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. My name is Aaron Laxon. Alongside with Robert Brining, beaming across the United States and around the world. Your 90-minute dose of hope brought to you each and every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You may follow along in the conversation on social media, Facebook and Twitter, as I am. And at BazIM.org, that's PazIM.org, we encourage you to join in the conversation at 347-215-9442, that's 347-215-9442, 90 minutes, your dose of hope starts now. everyone and welcome to this edition of Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host Robert Brining and Aaron Laxton is beside me, well not physically but through the airwaves. Oh. <laughs> so how I is it all in the show me space? Everything's good, everything's good. It's uh, uh, The Grammys are on right now so I had to, I had to break away from the Grammys to uh, uh, do the radio show and uh, uh, but uh, always a pleasure to be here and uh, and do our dose of hope. Yeah, that's one of the things that you said you don't have a DVR. I'm sorry. I'm I do sure not have, have a DVR somewhere. Well, it's in the other room. I can't have it playing because it'll be distracting for me. So yeah, I hear you. Really good. I actually, I'm I'm recording it now, so hopefully I'll be watching it after the show. So. Um, you will be getting your dose of hope here tonight, but it'll be 60 minutes. Um, later on in the show, we'll be joined um, by an activist out of California, Joshua Middleton. Um, he'll come on and share his story and, and talk about <clears throat> the interesting stuff that he's doing with uh, his uh, newly launched website. So, um, Aaron, um, what is uh, new in, in, in Aaron's world? How is middle uh, you know, took off? Uh, what have you been up to? I know we've been pounced with snow here in Philly. You know, we, we've been getting a lot of cold weather here as well. Uh, last time we were on the show, uh, I had just changed my medications, and now I'm about uh, 19 days into my new medication. And for the most part, uh, all side effects are gone, and, and life is golden again. So, well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just uh, there's a few hiccups and a few side effects, but that normalized, and um uh, the I, I figured out real quick that I have to be careful what I eat before dinner because I can have some hellacious nightmares, even worse than, than Tripla. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, lots of cold weather. So. Yeah, I hear you. We got um, Tuesday, we ended up getting about 13 inches in, in northeast Philly where I live, and that's like crazy. We haven't seen that much snow in forever, and it's been so cold. And then we got more snow, um, actually, yesterday, about another three inches. It's kind of, you know, there's been a lot to bear, um, you know, shoveling. And I hate just getting up in the morning to go to work so early and to get up and have to shovel before you go to work <laughs> at 6 o'clock in the morning is not so much fun. Yeah, I mean, 13 inches can be tough. Yeah. It's crazy. But we that kind of was light snow. Yeah, we we only had the the real big snow. Um, we had about a foot, and then since then we've just had, you know, a couple inches here and there. So, but all in all, it's been a, a pretty tough winter here in the Midwest. Yeah, well, the last couple winters here in Philly, we haven't really had a lot of bad snow. Like you know, it's just I don't know. I feel like it's so early, and we still have all of February to deal with snow, and it's going to be it's going to be bad. So I think they're calling for more snow within the next week. So should be interesting. Well, did you hear this week that the Pope is going to be coming to uh, Philadelphia next year? No, I did not. What is he coming yeah, for? Yeah, so in, in 2015, he has a conference of families, and he's going to meet with five families when he comes to um, uh, Philadelphia. So, wow. I don't know. Didn't know if you were Catholic or not, but if you're a Catholic, that might be I actually am. Kind of a, yeah, I was born. 
maybe I should try to put in and have him meet my family. There you go. Hey, this is my big gay hey. family. <laughs> no, actually, I'm right, actually are. a fan of the Pope. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of this Pope. I think you know he he's definitely um, working to address some some uh, some issues within the Catholic Church, and and uh, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I think um, he he kind of reminds me of Pope John Paul II. Um, you know, the previous pope, he was just a people's pope, you know what I mean, where, I don't know, I think that this pope is, is going to be, you know, it's going to make a lot of change in the world, and, and whether you're, you're Catholic or, or what, whatever religion you, you are or religion you aren't, um, I think that this person is somebody who can inspire you to, to, you know, to open your mind and be a better person inside, because he, he, from what he's, you know, been doing, it's what he's been saying, and it's the way that he's been able to, bring topics to, to light that, you know, a lot of people in that religion do not talk about. You know what I mean? And I think right. that's kudos to him for catching up. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, it's not going to be a huge philosophical shift for the church, um, but I think that, uh, you know, Pope Francis uh, is uh, working to, you know, really change the face of, of what is being focused on um, and so, as a person that works for a Catholic organization, it's definitely a, it's a nice change of pace. Yes. So, do you want to talk about so some do, news? Do I want to talk about some news? Of course, I do. Um, let's but, see. Who but else you know, I can't talk? talk without. Uh, I can't talk. I know. Some, some, there, there we go. There we go. You oh, yeah. are <laughs> hotness. Work that bond. Oh my God! Work that bond. Work it. Now do a little turn. You're doing great. You're a tiger. Oh, you're really an elephant. But I'm not gonna tell you that. Work that. I love it. All right. So there's a couple of stories. Because uh, we weren't on the air last week, um, and so the last couple weeks there's been some major stories that have kind of hit. Um, and I'll cover three stories, and the last story is one that, that you posted that we can kind of talk about. Um, so you may have heard uh, several months ago that the, um, the appeals court had struck down the ruling that would have reconsidered Nick Rhodes's uh, 25-year sentence uh, under HIV criminalization statutes um, in Iowa. Um, well, this past week, the state Supreme Court has agreed to hear the criminal case of Nick Rhodes um, and to reexamine uh, his sentence um, that would, would basically give him 25 years in prison and a lifetime registration as a sex offender. Um, and that was all as a result of one-time sexual encounter with um, a person by the name of Adam Plindle, um, in which time they used a condom and no HIV was transmitted. Um, and later on, uh, Plundell went on to be told by a friend that Rhodes might have HIV, and that's when uh, the police were contacted. So it's definitely, you know, all eyes are on Iowa and on um, Nick's case. Um, this is definitely going to be something that sets precedence for um, the rest of the country and other states. Um, then let's see, we, um, the, you had posted something not too long ago, which is actually, um, close to where I live. I, I've actually had a lot of media, um, interviews and contact, um, regarding this case. Um, and it's about a student by the name of Michael Johnson. He's a, uh, a former college wrestler at Lindenwood University here in St. Uh, the St. Louis area, and he was accused of having sexual contact with partners and not disclosing his HIV status. Um, he was arrested, charged uh, with Class B felony, uh, rec- recklessly risking the infection of another, um, and only recently uh, they have found that he also videotaped sexual contact with all of these people um, 
and right now they're, the count is at about 30 individuals. And so it really calls into question, you know, stemming from Nick's case, um, you know, Missouri has some of the most rigid um, HIV criminalization laws in the country. And uh, so unfortunately here in Missouri we've had two high-profile cases, one in Dexter, Missouri, where the person um, allegedly had contact with upwards of 200 people, and now Michael Johnson, um, who videotapes himself having contact with 30 people. So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Now, are all 30 people saying that he did not disclose his status? Well, or they're having trouble. Or is an assumption by the press? It's just an assumption by the press. But in Missouri, if you, you know, if, even if you had contact with one person and you have HIV, each time you have sexual contact, that's a, a felony count. So, you know, then they're even going if through accounting. According to Missouri law, yeah, even if you disclose. Oh, that's over. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? You know, a lot of the times they're having very uh, a difficult time because they can't identify people. They can't make out their faces or, or whatever. Um, since then, at, right after he was arrested, he was um, expelled from the college where he, was, he attended. And, um, you know, he, I believe he's, he's been in jail ever since. Now, see, here's the thing is I read, when, you know, when you read the headlines of these articles on, on individuals who do this or who are caught up in this law that discriminates against us living with HIV, you know, you, you, you read it and, and the person comes off as a demon. You know what I mean? They paint kind of the darkest picture, the, the darkest image of this person, and it just demonizes the disease, and it, and it pisses me off because it feeds and it fuels the stigma, you know, that we fight every day you know, just by being who we are, by, you know, speaking and using our voice. And it, it pisses me off because, for all we know, this kid could be disclosing because it's all a function, okay? Yet I don't condone him videotaping it without tell, letting people, you know, having their knowledge. But mm-hmm. if he's disclosing, you know what I mean, and, and this person is agreeing to have sex with him, even though they now know that he's HIV positive, whether they use a condom or not, there should, you know what I mean, like, they should not paint this horrible image of him. He should be just... Painted horribly by, you know, videotaping and not necessarily bringing his status into this. I think it's just, you know, they well, kind of, they... No, know. that's exactly right. And I mean, you know, the... Uh, him videotaping contact with partners is really... has nothing to do with whether or not he admitted his HIV status. Now, the other mm-hmm. thing that I found very very interesting was whenever... The NVC affiliate here in St. Louis contacted me, and I, I did two interviews with them regarding this case. And the second case, the second interview was um, they had started a web story prior to my interview, and it said alleged HIV spreader. And, wow. and I'm like, even that language, you know, um, because in Missouri, they charge the lesser offense because the greater offense, the Class A felony of transmission, is so hard to prove. That's why most states will not charge because, you know, unless you're doing genetic testing and, this, you know, those types of lab tests that are very expensive, you can't know for sure. And, and right. you're exactly right. Uh, you know, like the, the sexual act itself has nothing to do with um, the act of not disclosing his HIV status. And... You know, and, and so I think that there is that bias, there is that, that media sensationalism um, that really in Missouri has set back efforts to modernize criminal statutes by at least five to ten years, unfortunately, by these two major cases. Yeah, that's what pisses me off is that you'll read articles and that shit will be blasted and spread throughout the news all over the media and, and Facebook and Twitter and, and wherever else you're sharing your information and the important things that are being done, like individuals like you, Aaron, for the work that you do, you know, where you're at and, and how you help people and you deal with that. And, you know, you have your own struggles. And for me, you're a new story. You're a hero. They're the people that they should be talking about instead of interviewing them about these other people that are doing stupid shit. It's just to me, it's like they pick and choose what they want to talk about. And when it comes to HIV, it always seems to be something negative 
or it's this, like, over-the-top, like, oh, my God, we're going to have a cure. Like, there's no, like, let's yeah. talk to the everyday person. No, you're exactly right, and that's what I told them whenever I talk with them, you know, that in Missouri right now we roughly have 14,000 people who are living with HIV or an AIDS diagnosis, and in the last year we've had two criminalization cases. So two people out of 14,000 that are accused of not doing the right thing. And so if we look at that, that is a, that's a very, 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 very small number, but that's not what being, you know, portrayed in the, in the media. It sucks. And, you know, that's why I, part of why I wanted to do this radio show, because it seems any kind of media that ever covers HIV, it's always one of the two topics. And it's, it's, it's disheartening. And for somebody who's newly diagnosed, it is horrible world to only hear, you know, that you're going, that, you know, people who had this that you know of or ever heard of that had this disease because nobody talks about it were people that were dying back in the 80s and early 90s. You know what I mean? They're not educated on the medicine that, that is being improved and helping save our lives and allowing us to live a normal life. It's, it's just very frustrating. And, and to see this gentleman that we're having on tonight, Joshua Middleton, you know, really start to be a voice in the community and start putting himself out there. You know, it's, it's, I'm just tired of it. I'm just tired of, of the negative portrayal of those living with this disease. It's, it's, oh, it's tiring. It is. There's, there's lots of stigma out there. And I think that, you know, that's why we really have to, to push ourselves that each time that we see one of these news stories and we see the media using stigmatizing wording or language that is stigmatizing, call them on it. Call the producers, call the editors, call, you know, and let your voice be heard. And that's what I found here in St. Louis, that we've really worked with the media to change their language. It's not 100%, and they're not, you know, they do not deal with HIV on a daily basis. Um, so it's really on us as a community to call them on, um, on their behavior. And, you know, it, it does change, but you're right, it is very tiring. It does get daunting at times. You know, um, did I – I don't remember if I shared this the last time we had a show or if this actually happened the week that we were off. Um, did I talk to you about um, uh, brother-in-law, my brother-in-law working for this lady, Marty? Um, I had saw it on your Facebook. Yeah, we had we yeah. talk about it. Okay. Um, my, my brother-in-law, you know, married to my older sister, Desiree, you know, and he does – I'm not sure exactly what he does, but <laughs> he was working for this, this – job that he did for this lady and I guess he's been there a few times and the last time that he was there I guess somehow they brought up a conversation of an organization that she runs in Philly called AIDS Alive um, and it, she created it in memory of her son who passed away from AIDS and when he, she shared that with him you know he immediately you know opened up and started talking about me and, and the work that I do and here she wants to meet with me we're going to meet next week at um, an organization here called Shalom in a Philly where they work on spiritual wellness of people living with HIV. Um, but we're going to have this, like, meeting, and, and she wants to meet with me, and I just went to the website, AIDS Alive, I believe it's .org, and then they have a new one called Speak Up, I think, .org. Uh, and I watched her son's story, and it was just ironic things. Um, her son's name was Robert, you know what I mean? And, and we instantly, when we spoke on the phone, there was this connection between me and her. And it just, I don't know, I'm like excited to meet her because I feel like it's going to really put me, help me like maybe get a, a job in that field or, or work, you know, with people living with HIV or go out and start speaking more because I kind of fell out of that rut. And I just thought it was awesome of my brother-in-law, Billy, to make that connection with me. Like he was excited to call me and, and to let me know that he met this, you know, awesome lady and, you know, they may be looking for speakers, and it was just really exciting. So that's one thing I wanted to share. So go check out AIDS Alive uh, in Philadelphia. I think it's AIDSalive.org. So uh, we have tonight's guest on hold. I see him online. So I want to take a quick little break and play some of our favorite PSAs. Um, and then when we come back, uh, we will have, be speaking with Joshua Middleton. So we will be right back. If you're a man who has sex with other men, CDC recommends that you get tested for chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, and HIV at least annually. Your doctor doesn't automatically test for STDs, so it's important that you ask to be tested. Make regular STD testing a part of your life. 
To find a testing center near you, visit www.findstdtest.org or talk to your health care provider. A message from CDC. STDs often have no symptoms, but if left untreated, they can lead to serious health problems, especially for young women. Every year in the U.S., about 24,000 women become infertile from untreated STDs, which means they may never be able to have kids. It's important to get tested regularly. All STDs are treatable. Many are curable. GYT, get yourself tested. Go to GYTnow.org to find a testing center near you. A message from... I'm a YouTube host and a co-host of this program, Cause I Am Radio. I'm an international activist and I'm a writer. But at the end of the day, I'm a person who's living with HIV who is subject to the criminal statutes in my home state of Missouri. And as such, I'm always interested in what's going on as we move forward to try to change criminalization statutes or modernize them. For all the information, I go to seroproject.com. That's S-E-R-O project.com. You'll find the latest information on what's occurring and what needs to occur by a group of individuals who are passionate about modernizing criminal statutes to help reduce stigma and stop perpetuating the hate for those simply living with the virus. I encourage you today, if you've not done so, please check out seroproject.com. That's S-E-R-O project.com. There you have it, and we are back live. Uh, you're listening to Pazine Radio. You're live with Robert and Aaron. Uh, I see Joshua's on the line. I love that PSA that you did for the Sarah Project. I think it's incredible. I I I want to sell. I want to do one, but I don't know for what. But I uh, I want to get creative. You should get creative, and uh, you know I, I definitely encourage everybody. You know we were talking earlier about criminalization. Um, if you're living with HIV uh, in the United States and you do not think um, HIV criminalization affects you, go to the seroproject.com, read some of the stories from across the country, whether it's Indiana, Iowa, uh, you know, there's uh, a majority of the states uh, in the United States that have some sort of criminal statutes um, that really uh, you need to be aware of to protect yourself and, and others. Um, so definitely check it out. Yeah, there you have it, seroproject.com. Um, let's see. Okay, so let's go ahead and bring tonight's guest on. Uh, we have a California native, Joshua Middleton, joining us. Joshua, you're on the air. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank you for having me on. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Definitely any opportunity for anybody living with HIV is to share our stories is, you know, definitely an opportunity worth taking. And, you know, as far as, uh, Everybody, no matter how long someone's been diagnosed, whether newly diagnosed or a long-term survivor, I definitely think, you know, each individual person has something else they can bring to the table and, you know, kind of give their perspective. And everybody has a story and a different way that they reach this point in their life. And I think, uh, you know, it's definitely important to be able to share that and be open about it. So, you know, people who are newly diagnosed can see that, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's just a new beginning. That's right. And within that story, you know, we we can find similarities, and that's kind of why, you know, we have exactly. to do the show the way that we do. So we can, because, you know, when you're diagnosed, you think you're all alone, you don't know anybody. I mean, for me, I was a unicorn. There was nobody else like me out there. And then, you know, yeah. once you hear somebody else share their story, you know, you may not totally relate. You may not have the same, you know, sexual orientation, or you may not, uh, you know, be the same race. But at the end of the day, you know what I mean? There may be little things in there that you can relate to that, you know, allows you to feel comfortable again. And, you know, that's why, you know, we want you to come on, Josh, and we want you to to, to share your, your information and, and, and talk about, you know, your experience because, you know, everyone's experience is important. And, and somebody out there may be listening for the first time who's newly diagnosed or, you know, and don't know anybody and may not fit in. So I think, you know, I, I want to kind of lead off with, tell us a little background about where, how you grew up and, you know, and, and then lead into, you know, what made you get tested and how often you got tested. Definitely, yeah. As far as just going back to what you were saying, you know, we're all in this fight together, whether you're gay, straight, trans. I have many friends. 
different races, sexual orientation. So you're very right on that, that, you know, we're all definitely unified in this and we can find similarities. Uh, I pretty much was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, so <laughs> born there, raised there till I was about seven years old, then came out to California after my dad got a promotion. Um, pretty much spent the majority of my teenage years in Bakersfield, which I'm not sure if you guys know where that's at, but it's in the middle of California, which there's pretty much nothing to do there. It's got pretty much the worst uh, smog that you can have anywhere, I believe. Um, but it's uh, there's not much to do there. I, you know, I definitely uh, got myself into some trouble there. I mean, I lost about six to seven years of my life there to meth drug addiction. Um, that's pretty much all there is to do there. I ended up getting out of that city, um, just completely leaving that lifestyle. I moved to the San Diego area and got into bail bonds. Uh, so I constantly get people out of jail on a daily basis and just pretty much turned my life around and, you know, kind of got to see things from a different point of view. You know, it could have been me ending up in the jail cell and, you know, now I'm kind of on the opposite side of things, getting people out. And, uh, you know, HIV testing was something that I normally just did as a just-in-case type deal. Um, obviously, I started to learn about it in high school, um, which the sex education in high school was very minimal, um, and it wasn't very informative, I would say. I mean, they, you know, taught you, you know, you learned a lot about AIDS and opportunistic infections, age-related uh, illnesses and everything, but you never really learned about the virus that causes AIDS. And so I hadn't in the back of my mind, um, you know, what HIV was and what AIDS was and everything. And so I never really started getting tested till I was probably about 10 years old, until um, I became a little bit more sexually active. And I just did it on a yearly basis, um, just as a, a precautionary type thing, just in case, you know, for whatever reason, if I, you know, didn't use a rubber one time or whatever the case that, I would know because, you know, one thing I did know is that it's better to catch it earlier than later. And so I would get tested. I also took a human sexuality course in college. Uh, ironically, I took a human sexuality course, which half of the semester was on HIV and AIDS, about a year and a half to two years before I was even diagnosed. So it was still pretty fresh in my mind, but I never really applied what I learned from the textbook to my own life and that was kind of where I ran into the issue because I just thought hey you know I'm not in a high-risk group I'm you know it's never going to happen to me um, you know I can have sex as many times as I want without a rubber and you know nothing's going to happen I mean the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to get you know chlamydia or I'm going to get gonorrhea or I'm going to get syphilis or I'm going to get some other type of STD but never HIV and, uh, you know, so that was kind of my perception of it. But it was just a yearly thing that, that I did. And when I eventually went to go get tested, when I tested positive, um, it was just, again, a yearly uh, thing that I would usually do. And I didn't really have any symptoms or anything like that. The only thing that really made me go get tested is because I had gotten out of a two-year relationship with a girl who cheated on me twice, um, she uh, was my ex-girlfriend from Tijuana, Mexico, and uh, I actually met her from doing missionary work down in Mexico. And so, you know, we got together and everything, and after she cheated, and I didn't know if she had used a rubber, um, and when we broke up, uh, I didn't really know how to deal with the breakup. So I started to have multiple one-night stands. I've just never really been good with breakups, so I started to... Um, have multiple encounters where, you know, I was having sex unprotected. I was also going down to um, brothels or prostitution houses down in Tijuana, which is legal. Um, however, with always down there, it was with protection because, you know, none of the girls will have sex. Most, I wouldn't say all of them, but 90% of them will not have sex without protection. And the reason that I was doing this wasn't because I was trying to look for love or a relationship, but just because I was just trying to feel a woman's touch again. So I ended up, uh, you know, thinking about all the different times that I had put myself at risk, um, especially the multiple times I had had encounters with girls I had barely known for that night or had barely just known for 
a couple weeks beforehand, and also I didn't know when my ex cheated if she had used protection. Um, I had also gotten a tattoo months prior, which I wasn't really worried about that because uh, I got it done at a shop. It was a very legitimate shop, but my ex-girlfriend got her eyebrows tattooed at a very low budget. I wouldn't trust getting a tattoo there type of place just because it was it was at a swap meet. Eyebrows and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not a very common thing here in America, but in in the Latin culture, a lot of the females will get their eyebrows tattooed so they don't have to. I guess so they don't have to pluck them. I don't understand really the reasoning behind it, but she got them done, and, you know, they look fine at first, but then the color started to fade. So she went back to the same guy and said, hey, the color's fading. You messed up, man. You need to give me, you know, a new, you know, set or whatever. You need to redo it so it's darker. So he did, and when we went there that day, she literally went, and the guy had just got done tattooing someone, I hadn't known if he had changed the needle. He seemed kind of annoyed of even having to redo it. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of different, you know, scenarios. And I honestly, you know, I'm 100% not sure of where I was infected. I'm still not sure to this day. But I do know that there were several instances where I could have been exposed. So I started to get symptoms of pink eye, which is common because I work in bail bonds. So, I'm in and out of the jails. You're constantly exposed to bacteria. Sometimes you'll accidentally rub your eye, whatever the case. So I started to get pink eye, and I said, hey, I'll go to the doctor, get some drops, which I did. And when I was at the doctor, I said, hey, you know, I started to think about all the times. And I said, what's well, about that time to get an HIV test? And especially since I had, you know, thinking back to all those times, and I said, hey, doc, can we get an HIV test? And that's when I got it done. So, and after. So you, you know, you, you got, you asked the doctor for a test, you took the test, um, you know, how were the results delivered to you? The results were delivered to me um, the next week. I had went and got the test done with my primary care doctor and everything went normal. You know, they took my blood, they said, hey, we'll call you back in a couple of days, you'll be good to go. And I normally always got a call back within a couple of days. I mean, you know, they said it would usually take a couple, but usually by the next day, the results would be back and a nurse would call me and say, hey, you know, you're negative, you're good to go, you know, have a good day. But this time, I never received a call back. And to me, it seemed odd, but at the same time, I figured, hey, it's a doctor's office, maybe they just got busy, maybe they forgot to call me. Um, so, you know, I'll call them later on this week. So the results were actually delivered to me um, because the next week I had had ongoing issues with uh, staph infection, with necrotizing fasciitis, which um, is very deadly, cellulitis, pretty much anything that can go wrong with staph infection has went wrong with my left leg. So I went down um, for a follow-up with my specialist who happened to be an infectious disease doctor. And when I went down there, um, you know, he started to read over uh, as far as my antibiotics, seeing how everything was going with my leg. And that's when he said, well, hey, you know, I know you took an HIV test last week with Dr. Cuenca because of what happens is since the two clinics were connected, because they work under the same network of scripts, so they're allowed to intershare information. So I never had to get a call back from a doctor saying, hey, you need to come down here for your results or even have that in my mind, because I already was aware that if you had a positive result, they have to give it to you in person. So, you know, I know a lot of people that, you know, the minute they receive that call, you know, that, hey, we need you to come down for the results, then people just accept their diagnosis right then. But I never got that call. I was just going in for something completely separate. So when I went in there, um, that's when he said, hey, I know you took a, you know, an HIV test last week with your doctor, and you know, I have your results right here. And, you know, before he could even get that out of his mouth, I said, hey, well, you know, thanks for reminding me of that because I need to call him after this because I've never received a call back. And I figured they just forgot or whatever the case. And that's when he told me, you know, I have your results today. And, you know, your results didn't come out so good. And, you know, I kind of pondered. I was like, well, how did it not come out good? Is it, you know, you guys can't read the test or you know, you guys need to take another set of labs or whatever the case. You know, I wasn't definitely not expecting a positive result. Um, you know, for me, I was just, a, you know, expecting another negative result like always. But he said, no, you know, this time you've came out positive. And 
when you get a positive result, it's kind of like you're in a blur. Um, you know, you hear the words coming out of their mouth and you see their lips moving, but you really it doesn't really sink in for a couple minutes. And that's what it took for me. Um, at least in my experience, you know, it became a blur. I just, I just stared at the wall and, you know, I was trying to comprehend what he was really telling me. And when it really sunk in, Hey, you're positive. You know, I just, I busted down. I'm a very strong type person. I, it takes a lot for me to cry over something. And when that happened, you know, I just broke down and he started to explain to me how obviously HIV is a lot different now than the 1980s. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's treatment now, obviously it's not a death sentence as it once was. Um, there's, you know, a lot of support out there and everything, but all that just went in one ear and out the other pretty much. And, you know, when I was sitting there listening to him, he just said, well, you know, he goes, your only hope pretty much is if you have a false positive. And he goes, it's very rare. You know, he goes, you know, your chances aren't very good of it, but he goes, that's why we have to do a second test, you know, the Western blot. And so then he gave me the paperwork to go to the lab and I did the Western blot. And I got a call a couple days later from my primary care saying, hey, your Western blot came out and you're positive. But pretty much when my specialist had told me that, I had already accepted the result. I already knew the chances of a false positive are pretty much slim to none. I mean, it does happen, but, you know, it's just not very common. So I had already kind of accepted the diagnosis that day. But, you know, the official confirmed diagnosis came a couple days later. But... I accepted my you know, diagnosis that day when my specialist told me. Josh, that's, that's funny because um, when you're sharing your story, it, I, I sat there and I went through my head of my exact story and how the doctor sat me down and, you know, told me that I was positive and then he mentioned that there's this false positive thing and it's kind of like this thing that became like a blur and I just kind of like grasped onto that, like that could be my hope. Like maybe that's, that's what it is. There's no way this could possibly be happening. But exactly. I don't that's ever a, remember getting... I don't ever remember getting a second test. That's the ironic thing. Oh, okay. So did, did well, they but, send you but, for blood after? Or? Well, when I, they I do the viral know. load, Robert, whenever they do your labs, whenever they pull the CD4 and the viral load, that counts as the second conf- uh, confirmatory test. So yeah. when your viral load comes back and it showed that you had any, you know, anything over zero, then they, they're able to count that, according to the CDC, as a confirm, confirmation. Yeah, because after, after I was diagnosed at my family doctor, I just went to a specialist that I found in the city, and I just went there, and I, I guess, they, you know, when they took the test again, they sent it away, I guess, or whatever. But back in the day, so if, I, did, they drew your blood to do... Back in the to, day. ...for your test. <laughs> Why no? But today, they do the oral but uh, the oral, wow, according right. to CDC regu- regulations, can't be used for confirmation. But if you get an initial blood test, they can use that alone as a confirmation. That's the difference, right. I think. You're very smart. <laughs> you keep me around for something. <laughs> and so I just had a question, guys. For, for the OraQuick, the, Aura the uh, new at-home HIV test, is that an oral test? I haven't really yes. looked into it too much, so that is an oral test because I know that one. You, mm-hmm. if you receive a positive diagnosis, you're, you know, prompted to go to your doctor after to confirm that. So that would be right. you know, an example of the oral test that you need to go. Um, which I think it's great they have that, but I just think that people, you know, especially if you're receiving a positive result, I mean, you know, you need support around you and stuff, and even if it's a doctor mm-hmm. talking at you and stuff like that, you know, it's. It's it's always good to, you know, have some reassurance that, you know, you're not going to die. You're going to, you know, you're going to be around for a long time. So but I think the more options out there for people to get tested, the better. True. True, true, true. So when did you start telling people? Was it something that you, like, when, when did you start saying, you know what, I'm going to, sharing my story or start being open about it? Or were you always somebody who was like an open and honest person who shared every part of their, you know, like do you wear like your heart on your sleeve? Were you that type of person? I was a person that always shared it from the beginning. I mean, honestly, I went straight to work after being diagnosed and I told everybody. 
I mean, I obviously didn't tell clients or anything like that that were coming in. I mean, they're just getting out of jail to have their own problems to deal with, you know. But, you know, it, it was a very tough day to, you know, be hearing everybody else's problems and have to, you know, deal with something like that. But I was someone that straight from the get-go, I've always been someone that's kind of carried my emotions on my shoulder. It's kind of hard for me to keep something in. And when something's wrong with me, everybody knows something's wrong with me, not because I, you know, throw a pout or, you know, I just I just kind of let it out. And, you know, I let the people from my work know, you know, they're like, Josh, what's wrong? You know, why are you, you know, in this mood? And I was just like, you know, hey, I came out HIV positive. You know, this is what happened. I'm not 100% sure how it happened, whether it was from my ex, whether it was from a relation I had after. Um, not 100% sure, but, you know, I started telling people right from the beginning. I told my parents the same day. Um, you know, I told pretty much everybody, and, you know, I didn't put it on did Facebook the same exact day. Uh, my parents How took it very happen? well. Yeah, yeah they, they took it very well. I mean, I was very fortunate. I know not everybody is in that situation um, where they can be open and honest, whether their parents are older or whether they just, they're not educated about it or – you know, and each individual case is different, but I was very fortunate that my friends and family reacted to it. Um, you know, obviously there was a shock, there was a surprise. Um, like, you know, we would have never, you know, thought that this is going to happen to you um, or whatever the case, because, you know, a lot of people have this preconceived notion that you have to be promiscuous, you know, for lack of a better right. word, that you have to be you know, just all over the place with all these different girls or all these different guys or whatever your sexual orientation is. You're just all over the place with all these different people and you just, mm -hmm. you know, doing all this stuff. And that's kind of people's preconceived notions of it, you know. And so a lot of people, you know, as far as from the very get-go, they're just like, wow, you know. I mean, it was a big eye-opener to them that, hey, you know, this is a guy that, yes, I've had unprotected sex with, you know, some girls after I broke up. Um, with my ex-girlfriend, but I wasn't somebody that was going out, you know, every single day of the week, you know, in search of sex. I mean, you know, as far as me, I was, you know, having unprotected sex when I'd go out on the weekends, I'd go party, go to the clubs, whatever. And, you know, that's when it would happen or when I, would, you know, go down to party with my buddies and TJ, whatever the case. And, you know, that was the time that, you know, I was having sex, but a lot of people, it was a shock to them um, that, hey, yeah, here's, you know, a lot of the people that I talked to, a lot of my friends and stuff like that, and a lot of my coworkers, I was the first person they had ever even known who was positive or who had been tested and known their status and was open about it. I mean, as we know, I mean, probably a lot of people know many people who are positive, but they just don't know their status, you know, and because they right. haven't went and got tested, you know. And so for me, you know, my, uh, my friends, my coworkers, they were very supportive. Uh, my family, um, my mom, uh, she was the first person I told. Um, and that was very hard because, you know, I, I had to make the choice whether to keep it in and to just keep it all to myself, which I know would be a hell of a lot to do, um, seeing as how, you know, I carry my emotions on my shoulder. It was just going to be very hard for me to do that. So I contemplated it if I wanted to, um, you know, tell my parents or if I didn't because I knew it would hurt them a lot. Like I just kind of felt like I let them down, you know, out of all the conversations that, you know, I'd had with my parents about, Hey, you need to protect yourself. If you're going to be out there having sex, you do this. I just felt like, Hey, you know, now it's came to the point that I've just let them down. And I told my mom first and we sat there and cried a couple hours and stuff. But, you know, the first thing she asked me um, when I did get diagnosed is, are you gay? And that's the first thing she asked me. And it's not, you know, that was just how I was, that's how I was raised. That's how I was taught that, hey, that, that's, something that that's something that happens if you're this sexual orientation or if you're that sexual orientation or whatever the case. And, you know, she just wasn't as educated about it, you know, at the time because she, you know, you know, back in the 70s and the 60s and stuff like that, it was non-existent. She was never really a news buff or anything like that. So during the 80s when she was living, um, you know, she never really looked into, you know, the AIDS epidemic and what was happening to people and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, that was just her preconceived notion that she had about it. So I told her, no, I'm not. But at the same time, I said, you know, because I was already educated enough about it to know, hey, it can happen to anybody. And that's when I told her, and she goes, wow, you know, I 
couldn't believe that that would, you know, happen to you and stuff like that. But, you know, she got educated about it. We educated ourselves about it together, um, you know, so we could, you know, kind of learn about it together as a family. And I told my dad before he went to work that day, um, you know, and they both just let me know, hey, you know, we're going to be here to support you regardless of, you know, if you have this or not, you know, we're in this together. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, who you contracted it from or whatever the case, you know, you're our son. And, you know, we, you know, we raised you, we put all our love into you, we put all our support into you, and that's not going to stop just because you have a condition. You know, I mean, as far as a lot of people have conditions, but, you know, it's what you, what's what you do with that condition and it's what you, how you move forward with it that really counts. So I, I've been very fortunate to receive support. Um, not to say I haven't faced some stigma and some, some discrimination, because I have, um, but at the same time, I was I was very fortunate to have that support. And I, I know a lot of people aren't, and uh, you know I, I feel for those people because you know if you don't have support around you, I think family support's very important, and uh, you know friend support, coworker support. You know I'm just an open person. I mean I've just I've always been like that, and me you know having this, it was just one extra thing to carry on myself, and you know I. I've, try to make the best of it you know i try to let people you know know that hey this can happen to me it can happen to you you know it doesn't matter if you're promiscuous you have sex one time you're old you're young you're gay you're straight you're trans whatever the case male female you know it can happen to anybody and so it's uh you know it's definitely something i was open about from the beginning so i've got a question for you um and this is just uh uh robert and i were kind of talking before you came on the on the show that um, we're almost we're almost a year and a day between whenever you and I were diagnosed, um, and what I found is you know now being you know almost three years into the thing, um, you know there that being out there, being an activist, being an advocate um, can be very taxing on you personally, um, and I won't speak for Robert, but you know on on, on my own account, you know there's days where you don't want to be that activist, you don't want to be that person that's out. Um, on center stage, you don't want to be that voice or the the, the poster uh, person living with HIV. Do you what do you kind of you know do you have a plan of action for how to deal with that? Yeah, I mean definitely. I mean I I think that activism is a great thing to do, but when we're activists and we're telling people, hey, you need to get out there and you need to live life. You need to not let HIV define you. You need to do this. You need to do that. I think it's very hypocritical for an activist to say these things and not get out there and do them themselves. And for me, um, yeah, there's definitely days when, you know, I get up and I say, hey, you know, because I'm very new into activism and everything, and even being new into activism, it it is something that's very draining. I mean, there's some days that you just want to, you know, have a day to yourself and not think about HIV. I, when you're an activist, it kind of brings HIV to the forefront of your of your day. And whether you're letting it define you, whether you're not, whatever the case, uh, you know, it's still at the forefront of your mind because you're thinking, hey, how can I reach people? How can I get a message out? How can I be a voice for this type of people or whatever the case or for this cause? Or how can I get involved in another organization or whatever the case? So, for me, it, you know, my way of dealing with it, um, when I do get tired of activism or, I, you know, I, I definitely never want to stop helping people, but it's just getting out there and, and living life. I mean, you know, regardless if I'm going out and I want to go fishing or I want to go hiking or I want to go, um, you know, we I live up here in the mountains. So, you know, if I wanted to go snowboarding or whatever the case, just getting out there and doing something, a hobby doing something that you love to do, um, writing, you know, I love to write. And, uh, you know, as far as if I start to feel like activism is getting a lot on me and stuff like that, then, you know, I'll journal, you know, journaling is something that uh, I've always done. And it's something that is a, a big part of my life and everything. So I just try to really, when activism gets to be too much, then, you know, I go into a hobby. I try to do something that is going to get my mind off of it. And at the same time, yes, I'll still, you know, check my Facebook every once in a while and, you know, put a post here, put a post there. But at the same time, I don't want to tell people, hey, you need to get out, you need to live life, you need to do this, or, you know, try to give people these, 
you know, these mandates that they need to do, these obligations or whatever, just advice like, hey, you know, this is what you should be doing. And if I'm not doing it myself, you know, I'm doing myself a disservice and, you know, I'm not being honest to people. And that's how you really have to, in my opinion, you really have to kind of get away from activism for a while. For me, it's writing, um, you know, just doing anything outdoors, doing something new. Um, you know, recently I've t- I'm working on getting my private pilot's license right now, so I've fell in love with flying. So, you know, for me, it's, yeah, it's pretty expensive to get out there and do that. Just whenever I want to forget about HIV, it would be pretty expensive if I uh, want to do that every single day. But it's just another thing that I can add to my list that I can say, hey, you know, when I don't want to be an activist today or I don't want to do this, I'm just going to be a normal person. I'm just going to live my life. And, you know, if an opportunity presents itself, you know, like I went to my doctor a couple of weeks ago and there was a kid there and I was wearing my – it was actually the picture that's up on the website – and I was wearing my no shame about being HIV positive shirt, and he had just came out from his test result. And he came out negative, but he had been testing negative for about two years, and he was so afraid because he had kissed a girl who was positive. And obviously we know that it's not transmitted unless there's blood in the saliva, which is, you know, there's no known transmittable cases by kissing. However, you know, this guy was terrified that, hey, these tests keep coming out negative. So that was an opportunity for me, even though, I wasn't in my activism mode that day or I wasn't wearing my activism suit that, hey, you know, here's an opportunity to reach somebody, you know. And I guess, you know, I I kind of was in a way in my activism suit. I was wearing an HIV shirt. But, you know, as far as there was just an opportunity and it presented itself. I got to talk to him and say, hey, dude, you know, if you're coming out negative, you got to believe the test, dude. You can't, you know, have all this anxiety and all this kind of stuff over a negative test. You go out and celebrate, man. You know, don't go out there and have unprotected sex and put yourself in a position where you're going to have to retest again. But, you know, use protection, go out there, celebrate. And, you know, if you want to be precautionary, then get a test every six months. So there are times when, you know, opportunities presents itself, but everybody needs a break. And, uh, you know, for me, it's just getting out, doing a hobby, living life, and, uh, you know, moving forward. Cool. So, you know, Josh, let me ask you this. Um, you got a, a, a tattoo that you recently blogged about um yes uh i have um a tattoo that is it's basically somewhat hiv related but um it doesn't you know have anything it doesn't have like a red ribbon on it or anything like that so it's not as you know uh, i guess seen but I, I in other words i have one aaron do you have a a, a a tattoo like um i do not and i have a strict i have a strict philosophy me personally but i do not mm-hmm. Um, you, I, I personally, no, I personally will never get a tattoo of, you know, like a biohazard or a ribbon. Now, this is why I won't do it, because one of these days, whenever we do have a cure, I don't want anything to remind me on my body. Now, it's just me. You know me. I'm all tatted up. Um, and that's a right. decision I made a long time ago. Um, but each person, I mean, you know, it's, each person has to make that decision. Me personally, though, it would be like the Holocaust survivor looking down at their arm and seeing that tattoo of their registration number for me personally. <laughs> okay. So Josh, I know you just recently got a tattoo. Yes. Tell me um, about that and what it represents because you have um, two birds, right? Yes. Are I they do. specific? Are they blue birds? Yeah. They're, they're blue uh, swallows. Okay, and what do they actually represent? Swallows used to be used, and I'm not sure if they're still used. However, swallows represent a journey, and they represent coming home from a journey, going uh, pretty much when swallows were viewed um, in the maritime, like people um, sailing, stuff like that. Sailors would use swallows to know that they're close to land and that they're close to the end of their journey because swallows normally – do not fly above sea, they're only going to be near land. So swallows represent my journey with HIV, um, when it begins, when it began, and when it will hopefully one day end, Um, whether that be, you know, through a cure, whether I enter the grave with this virus, whatever the case, it just represents my journey with it. Um, You know, as far as I definitely think it is a daily journey, 
Uh, I personally agree with Aaron and the fact that I would never get a biohazard or any, I personally am not in agreement with a biohazard tattoo just because I don't think that people with HIV should be looked at as hazardous um, or a negative connotation. I know people have very different views on the biohazard tattoo, but I personally would never get that. But me, I wanted something more artistic, something that represented my journey with it. And when, you know, there is a cure or when, uh, you know, whatever the case, when this is eventually over for all of us, you know, as far as I want something to remind me, you know, I'm kind of the opposite in my decision that I want something to remind me of the lessons that this has taught me. And, you know, not to, you know, and it's not that I want it to remind me of all the bad stuff and all that kind of stuff, but I want to look down at it and be like, hey, you know, I was living a very reckless life beforehand. And, you know, just with some of my decisions I was making and all that, and I want all the life lessons that I've learned from HIV to be incorporated in so I can look at it and say, hey, you know, this is a tattoo that one day there was, you know, back in the day, you know, taken from the How to Survive a, a Plague quote, you know, he's, you know how the uh, one of the actors says, you know, one day there, you know, back in the day there was a terrible disease, you know, that took many people, and now there is a brave group of people that stood up and, you know, fought through it, and not necessarily because I lived through the 80s or anything like that, but I want something to remind me of the lessons that it has personally taught me. Um, you know, so that's what the swallows represent. Yeah, no, I think it's beautiful, actually. And you know, people can go to uh, positivehope.com and, and check out his, his website, his blog, and connect with Joshua there. Um, no, it's actually very beautiful, and I, I actually am excited to get a, a second one. I just haven't decided what I want to get. But um, there's Thank a you. Yeah, their tattoos are addicting. <laughs> yeah, there's a gentleman by the name of Bob Bowers. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. Yes, yes, I know Bob. I'm, I just uh, yeah. made friends with him on Facebook here a couple weeks ago. Yeah, he's an incredible, incredible guy. Um, I love him to death. Uh, he he is, you know, a, a man of many tattoos, and he has a, a beautiful red ribbon on his, uh, I think it's on his abdomen, above his belly button uh, around that area. Uh, it's just it's awesome, and he's a, he's a great guy, so you should definitely connect with him. Uh, I'm sure you guys would have, uh, you know, a good time and, and connect well, you know, with uh, stories and stuff like that. I don't know. He's just a great guy, so you should check him out. Um, so definitely, people can find you. Are you on Instagram? Instagram, I am on Instagram. I'm on pos- I believe it's under Positive Hope. However, honestly, okay. I do not use Instagram as much as I do the other social media sites. I need to get on it more. Okay. I barely just well, found out how you can connect like all the social. Because my problem yeah. before was like being able to use each individual one, and it was just a hassle. Well, here's what, Twitter, well, here's what, YouTube, here, so. here's what you got to do. You got to go onto your Instagram tonight, and you have to take a picture of yourself right now on doing the show because we're all uh, doing it, and what we're trying to do is get people to, to follow us on Instagram. So you can go to – you said you're under Positive Hope, right? Yes. They can find you on Instagram. I'm under Positive Pitch, and Aaron, you're under Aaron Laxton, right? Yes, sir. So take yourself a pictures now and go check us out there. You want to hashtag it, Pause I Am Radio. Um, and uh, Joshua, I want to thank you for coming on. We actually are running out of time. So um, we have to have you come back on and share some more. I'm excited to see what you're going to do. And I am very um, proud of you. I think it's courageous for you to be so open so early in your diagnosis. It took me forever to come out. You and Aaron, like, kind of spit out and get diagnosed and then kind of spit out and become an activist overnight. It's incredible to, to see people like that. So you inspire us here at the show. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for the continued work that you and Aaron do. I definitely, uh, you know, don't go by a day without uh, reading your guys' post and, you know, all the uh, articles you guys post and everything. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity and, uh, you know, just continue on day at a time. So I look forward to sharing more, and uh, you guys have a great rest of the night. Thanks, man. You too. You too, bud. All right. Uh, all right. Again, go follow us on Instagram, Positive Pitch, Aaron Maxton, and Positive Hope. Uh, what a great guy uh, coming on and sharing his story. It's so awesome. Yeah, amazing people. Now I'm getting ready to log off and watch the Grammys. <laughs> all right, sir. Well, you have an amazing week. Uh, if people want to find uh, you on social media, how can they do so? 
Uh, they can go to uh, org and all my information is there. Help that. And I'm Aaron Laxon on uh, social media or on YouTube, uh, My HIV Journey. There you go. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Have a great night, and we will join you next week. Have a good night, Aaron. See you, bud. Bye. This has been another broadcast of Pause. I am Pause 2.0. It's a brand-new format, 90 Minutes, brought to you each Sunday, where we cover gossip, entertainment, policy, politics, you name it. If it's important to you, if it's important to the HIV community, we will talk about it. And if you don't hear something that you want to be talked about, shoot us a message. Hit us up on Facebook, Robert Brining, Aaron Matthew Laxon, and also Pause I Am Radio. Be sure to like that. And if you haven't done so yet, check out pauseim.org. That's pauseim.org. We're in this thing together, and we will be here until the end, until a cure is found, to be pointing out injustices, to be pointing out stigma, to highlight people who are doing the right thing each and every day, to highlight people who are not letting HIV dominate their lives, ruin their lives. This is your 90-minute dose of hope. But we want each one of you not to stop believing. Keep coming back. Keep listening. So next week, this is Aaron Laxon for Robert Brining. Signing off. Good evening.